Hello, I'm Anne Mossop, Sydney Writers' Festival Artistic Director. We hope you enjoy this episode from our podcast program. Hi, everyone. Hope everyone's having a great festival so far. Um, well, I want to start today by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation, the traditional custodians of this unceded land on which we meet and pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here with us today. My name is Wenli Ma. I'm the TV and film critic at news.com.au and a weekly contributor on RM Breakfast. I'm also the chair of the New South Wales chapter of Media Diversity Australia. And now, I'm really excited to facilitate this chat with two amazing writers, two writers who can evoke whole worlds and reams of emotions by just starting with a few words on a page. Marcus Zusak is the best-selling author of six novels, including Bridge of Clay, The Book Thief, and The Messenger. His books have been translated into more than 40 languages and have legions of devoted fans, many of whom I assume are in here today. Sarah Lambert is a writer, showrunner, and producer of TV shows, including Love Child, Lambs of God, the upcoming miniseries The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, and, of course, the TV adaptation of The Messenger. Sarah was also an actor. She was in 26 episodes of the original series of Heartbreak High. You can watch that all on Netflix. (laughs) But The Messenger is why we're here today. It's the story of Ed Kennedy, a young taxi driver wandering through life, a little directionless, ironically, That is until he starts receiving playing cards in the mail with opaque instructions of names and places, people in the community he is supposed to help. It's a coming-of-age story with heart, which reminds us of the power of small acts and human connections. The Messenger is now a TV series on the ABC and on iView, and you can stream all eight episodes now if you're a binger. It stars William McKenna, Alexandra Jensen, Catania Maynard and Chris Alosio. But here we have the two people who are ultimately responsible for this show, along with, of course, when it's television, it's hundreds of people. Um, But Marcus, I want to start with you, because you wrote this book more than 20 years ago, and since then you have had various conversations with production companies about adapting The Messenger. What made you finally say yes? (laughs) I'm Sarah Lambert. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because uh, it's sort of, I don't want to... I heard an interview with Sarah, actually. I was just going straight for you now, (laughs) uh, where she said that that, uh, she went to the meeting with with me and she was terrified because I'd been holding out for 20 years, sort of like (laughs) holding the book in a a cage. No one will make this into a TV series or a movie. And it wasn't quite like that. And uh, (laughs) it was more that things always fall through with movies. Things always fall through with TV because books are such a great technology because they cost almost nothing to make, whereas TV shows cost something, movies cost something. And so things would, some things fell through. There was, one, there was probably one really, really good offer from, from a Hollywood studio that mm. I, just, I just went, oh, I don't want Ed to be a cab driver in Cleveland. I want it to be here at home. And I felt like this was a really Australian story. And I think the, from the opening scene especially, the, in, the, which in the book is a bank robbery gone wrong in 2001. Uh, and, uh, and I just, 
just the conversations on the floor, the Lego that's been spilled on the ground mm. and the deposit and withdrawal slips that are there that your mum always made you scribble on while you were waiting for her, you know, to do the business in the bank. That felt really Australian to me. I felt like I was back at Sutherland Commonwealth Bank. And, mm. uh, and so I didn't really... I just thought, no, I want this to be... In the best of best worlds, I want it to be made here. And then, of course, people stopped asking... It went away and just this idea that I was desperately waiting for someone to make something isn't true either. I think when you're a writer, you're just, you, you've got so many problems with what you're working on now <laughs> that you're not going, geez, I wonder if anyone's ever going to make The Messenger. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but then the right people came along and, uh, you know, and I'll probably, I can stop talking there now before I just keep going on and on. Yeah, I mean, but the right free. people, the right people came and it was time. And we walked out of the first meeting and I just went, they're actually going to do it. And I knew from the first minute I started talking to, to Sarah and to Jason Stevens from Lingo, who may or may not be here today, but I thought, these, these people are so normal. <laughs> they're so normal and they're completely nuts. They're going to make this and they're, yeah. just, and they're going to do it within a couple of years. And they did it. It's the first time I've ever been right about anything in publishing or <laughs> to anything to do with how a book or something is going to go of mine. I mean, it, it is a leap of faith, though, to sort of abandon that sense of control over this thing that was yours for a really long time. I think it's the only decision you have is really who you give it to. And they can change it wildly and it'll work. Whereas if you give it to the wrong people and they try to be really respectful and do everything right by you and it, and it won't work. And, uh, and so I was always signing it up with a, a licence to make mistakes and, uh, you know, and break a few things. You know, I really wanted that to happen because that's what I'm trying to do when I write. I'm, I want to be totally me. Uh, you know, I want to I write a book that isn't better than anyone else's. I just want to write a book that no one else could write. You know, so my wish is that then Sarah will, and, and Kirsty Fisher and the other writers will write something only they can write. And I think they absolutely have. And, you know, which is why I love the series so much. Well, Sarah, what did you see in Marcus's book that you knew would make not just a great screen story, but a great Australian screen story? I think when I read it, um, Jason Stevens sent it to me and I didn't know anything about it and I just completely sort of leapt in. And what I loved about it was it felt... When I was a kid, I used to love movies like um, Rear Window. Um, I loved, loved that film. I loved that you could look inside these sort of... You could see across at this apartment building and see inside these little windows, and there were all these lives going on inside. And I just loved that story. And when I read it, it was this similar feeling for me, this sort of... This idea that all these lives that are happening in this town, that suddenly he becomes involved in all these sort of mysteries. And it just felt really uniquely Australian, a really Australian version of that, of kind of being able to get a window into all these different lives. And he was so ordinary and regular, and I really related to him and his friends. Like, I loved these characters. I loved them so much. And I felt because of that, there's a sort of... There was a humour in it and a heart in it that I really, really wanted to see on screen. Like, I was really missing seeing something that was life-affirming, that mm -hmm. it was something that could be uplifting, that was about us. And, um, and so when I read it, I sort of... Jason and I talked about it, and that was what we really, why we really wanted to do it. We wanted to bring that to the screen. We felt it was a, it was a time that really needed it. 
Yeah, we did need it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. But I know you guys started doing this in 2019 before mm. COVID hit. Mm. Did it take on a different meaning, this story that was so embedded in kindness as you made it during COVID? I think so. I mean, we started it and then we were in lockdown. We started the original writers' rooms where we all got together and Marcus came and we sat in a room and um, listened to you. Um, and uh, we all sat there together. And then pretty soon after that, um, lockdown happened. And so everything that we did, we were doing remotely. We couldn't get to each other. We were sort of doing it all over Zoom. And so it did feel really um, like that need for connection, that need for sort of something that was uplifting uh, really kind of hit on. So interesting that part of the inspiration was Raymond Burr killing somebody. Sorry, if you haven't seen Rewindow, that is a 60-year-old spoiler. Mm. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Marcus, it, this is not the first time you've done an adaptation process. The book Thief was adapted into a movie, so you've kind of been through part of this before. What did you take from that experience to kind of inform how you wanted to approach it this time? Oh, I don't know. I, I tend to make the same mistakes over and over again, <laughs> whether it's in writing a novel, whether it's dealing with a situation like that. I'm, I probably tend to be too trusting of people in general, and, uh, but I find I kind of like the trouble that that gets me into as well. And in this case, I think, well, I think that's where I write from, is from those sort of calamities. And I think you can see that in Ed as a character, absolutely. And it's funny, now I'm just answering a totally different question, but even <laughs> Will McKenna saying that it felt like, you know, how did I write his memoir? And then I went, he really does remind me of me mm -hmm. on screen and reminds me of, you know, the parts of me that are in Ed and that Ed is in me. And, uh, and so I think there were just differences. It wasn't so much that I was different. It was more that the two... People, you know, the two companies or the two ways that, uh, of working a, a book into screen were different. Also, one was a film, one was a, a TV series. And I love... What I, one of the things I love about the series is that the world of the book got bigger, mm. whereas the problem with a movie is that you're always cutting and cutting and cutting to get it to fit into an hour and a half or two hours. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was different just from that perspective immediately. And also, you know... It's also really different when the company making it is in the same city, let alone just down the road. And, and so I felt really included, or I felt, no, I'm not going to say really included, I'm going to say included enough so that I felt part of it, but then that I wasn't an inhibiting factor as well. So, uh, so I, I felt loved and I felt the book was loved. And so I just sort of went, yeah, well, go ahead and, and do what you have to do. And... Yeah, and they really did, you know, this first, <laughs> second meeting. We're thinking of changing one of the characters from male to female. Oh, so, and, I, and I think I remember that moment. I just went, oh, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, it makes perfect sense. And, uh, and, the, and that character of Richie's is such a highlight of the show. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and I think what I love about, I'm just getting this in straight away, is that I love that everyone in the, in the series looks like they love being in it. Mm. And those four main characters, you, you can tell they love each other, uh, you know, in just what they do and showing up to work every day. And I really love that. And I think that's what was different. That's what was different. It felt very much, I felt very much like I was at home with this production. Sarah, did you have any preconceptions about how much you wanted Marcus to be involved or not involved? It's funny, like whenever you start a writer's room and you're working on an adaptation, 
there's, there can be a lot of fear around letting the writer into the room. You know, it's this idea of, you know, we're going to have to listen to everything he says. Oh, my God. But it, I think from the moment I met Marcus, I knew it, there was this kind of permission. He, he said, you know, I don't, you don't need to be so faithful. You know, it doesn't have to be on, you know, exactly as it is. Be brave. Take risks. And that's an incredibly generous thing. And you're never quite sure that people actually mean it. You know what I mean? People say things like that, but you're just like, how, where are the, you know, where are the boundaries? You know, like, if we do this, is that too far? Or, you know, you, you're kind of testing all the time. Um, but when Marcus came into the room, I mean, we properly brainstormed like we normally would. You know, we, it's like the, the book becomes like a Bible. Like, you, you, you put up everything on that book and you... you you really examine it in a way that I don't think people realise. It becomes like you examine every single line that someone says and get kind of trying to find clues. It's like being forensic of where to take it and, and what you're going to do. Um, and, uh, you know, you're constantly asking questions. We'd say, so what's the game? You know, the game that they're playing. You know, we spent hours trying to figure out what that game was. We had the entire art department. Everybody was coming up with versions. We came up with this really complicated game that we then everybody had to learn and all these things. And Marcus kind of sort of threw it away. He's like, oh, I don't know. It, was sort of, it might have been like this. It's sort of like this. But we'd spent like probably about three months planning how to play, <laughs> you know, play this game or things like... Did you like, get really good at it? We did. Everybody learned to play this very specific game that matched sort of the way the dialogue worked in the book and that kind of made sense. And even like a sledge match, you know, we would, you know, say, What's, what is a sledge match? You know, there's this big thing in this book. Um, and I guess we would sort of... Then we had the entire, again, the entire production team trying to figure out what exactly is a sledge match. Um, and so we would, we would come to Marcus for, 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 with questions like this, didn't we? Um, and you would come up with very, um, just do whatever you want. <laughs> no, or I'd say, I could have answered that in two minutes. All you, had to do, all you had to do was call me and say, what's the stupid card game they play? And uh, it was just a card game my dad taught us, you yeah. know, and one that all four of his kids could play without them saying, because I was the youngest, without everyone's saying, no, nah, you can't play your shit. You know, you don't know. <laughs> You're too young. And uh, so we played this particular game. And the sledge... And what I love is... And it's a little bit like that idea in books where kids always whinge about the teacher saying, oh, and they think it means this, it doesn't mean that, you know. He just probably put that in for no reason. And, uh, and things like the sledge match, I didn't even think at all. I just thought sledge match sounded good. <laughs> and so I just went, oh, just call it that. And uh, it was just a normal game of football. But uh, I, again, I, but that, I love that there are these little trigger points that then take you off. And, and I think a lot of things would have been won and lost in those three months of figuring all that out that gave everyone something. Mm. So I, I really like that idea of working through it. Mm. But I think, I guess, coming back to having a writer in the room, the novelist in the room, is that I think we had you for the first couple of days in the room and that was just this 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 real it was a real gift to us because it kept on it, we kind of push it to this limit and then uh, Marcus would say something and sort of blow his own book up you know, and say why don't you try this or, or go there or push that further and that's incredibly generous it allowed us to kind of own it in a way all of the writers and you know we work as a team it's not just me it's you know Kirsty Fisher and Kim Wilson and um, Magda Wozniak and there's such a team of people who come together and really kind of pull these things apart and create it together um, and so then we would send, you know, outlines to him and we would send scripts to him and ask for comments and, 
and we got back fantastic um, emails of sort of what he liked and, you know, questions about certain things, but it was always this thing of go for it, just keep going, push it, you know, you know, own this thing and make it, you know, what you want it to be. Were you nervous the uh, first time the email popped up and you're like, do I, do I want to open this right now? <laughs> No, actually. I think at that point, it, you know, the, the first, you read the first couple of lines and I was like, we're okay, we're okay. You know, he, he likes what we're doing. I usually, when I write emails to Sarah and Kirsty, I go on these big, long, overexcited things and then I delete half of it and then I put half of it back in because I don't want them to get bored reading all these <laughs> effusive comments and everything. And uh, I, because, that, and I think that that, it always triggered something in me, like when I'd see the show and I'd go, oh, and then here, and I'd start quoting other TV shows and I'm like, they don't want to read that shit. Like, the, just calm down a bit. Stop being so excited about what they've done. And, and I, I have to say as well that without, you know, because Sarah's making me out to be you know, so nice and generous and everything. And, you know, and I would like to think that's true, but it was one of the reasons it was easy was not only... I mean, I just, number one, I knew it was in such expert hands, but I think the thing that everyone forgets is that the book is 21 years old this year, and what happens is you start to get nostalgic about your books, and at, at first, like, when, so your last book you worry about, and I wonder if this is the same with a, a series that's just come out. I, I bet you're not worried so much about Lambs of God anymore, as it's, it's the messenger you're seeing every little fault with, and, and so I'm really guarded about the last thing I've written or what I'm writing now, but I look back on The Messenger and sort of go, God, I was a bit of an idiot in, in that bit, or I didn't get that bit right, and suddenly it's not the end of the world anymore. And so it became a lot easier to sort of go, do whatever you want, it's not a perfect book, and it never was, and that was never the idea anyway. So, uh, yeah, go and have some fun with it, and because uh, it was a fun book to write. It was a real, it's probably the book I had the most fun writing. And sometimes I look back and go, yeah, write like that again. You know, just spit ideas onto the page and don't build so much, just write. I think you can feel that joy in the writing as you're reading it as well. It's, it is quite infectious. Um, but the page and screen, they're very different mediums. The, you, what you can do in a novel, you can't do on a TV show and vice versa. Sarah, I'm curious about when you guys made the choice to expand the story, the, the series, from away from Ed's perspective or purely his perspective, mm -hmm. away from that first-person narration. I think we've... It's so interesting when you start on a process. That, you know, there was a version that we probably put up on the board which was just, you know, you could do it where it was it had a voiceover, you know, that you were inside the head of Ed and that you would tell the entire show just from this character's perspective. Um, and, you know, there are so many different versions of that show out there. But I guess where we started coming from is that the friendship between those, you know, that, that core group of people, you know, that, of Ed and Marv and Richie and Audrey, um, you know, when you start breaking down the novel and then really looking at those characters... What we were really struck by, I guess, at the end of the book was, you know, the hearts section of it, of who Ed really loves. And it's those four people. And they're so incredibly important to him and to the story. And then uh, it, we ended up talking in the room for a long time about those friendships that you have at a particular time in your life. And if you're lucky enough to ever experience that, of that incredible... Just that there was, you know, I think we ended up talking a lot in the room about 
I can tell you there was a moment in my life when I was a sort of you know, late teens, early 20s, where there was this group of friends, male and female, and we just did everything. We lived, to, you know, lived through so many experiences and, and loved each other so intensely, and, and it was complicated, and we had no money, and we were broke. And the more we talked as a group of people, we, we all wanted to try and create this group, this friendship group, this kind of... These, these, these four friends that we that we could put up on the screen and say, it, it, this is a friendship that we would all love to have. And so I think that's where we really ended up sort of pushing it, that it was about relationship, that it wasn't just about Ed, it was about Ed's relationship to all of them. And he's very much the driving force through the entire series still, so we made him, you know, it is very much Ed's story, but we really wanted to give each of those characters a full and rich story to sort of go through... Um, and that really came from the book. I mean, it came from that last chapter of the book, the last card really sort of informed all of that for us. And we became determined to really tell that story of friendship, of, of, of the people that you love and chosen family, you know, that showed the people that you choose to love. Mm. Um, because, you know, Ed's lost his dad and, and I, I think that sort of loneliness and grief and who you reach out to, the, these friends, I... I I love shows when you meet a group of friends and you just want to be with them all the time, and mm. that's what we really wanted to try and emulate with the series. Uh, Marcus, that seems like it's such a core theme to the book as well. I mean, along with... Was that something you gave to the team, like, this is a fundamental, I don't want you to change that, or uh, I want to keep it in a lower-to-middle-class community? Like, did you have things that you said, this needs to stay? I don't think so. I don't remember anything like that, did I? I think we did talk about it wanting to sort of stay, you know, in a particular world, didn't we? I think one thing, one of the things we, I remember talking about was do we modernise it or do we leave it sort of retro, like set back mm. 20 years? Yeah. And, and then, but even then I just said, well, it's up to you, I think. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> Actually, I was having just tantrums all over the place, you can tell. Uh, <laughs> But actually, you know, when, while Sarah was talking about those four characters, it just reminded me of something. These are always my favourite stories as a writer, where you end up in a library in Wodonga High School or something, and one of the librarians says, I remember, it's always when something good's happened. Like, I remember the book, I got a small award here, and, and, uh, and I was like, oh, great, it's won this award. And then, of course, that morning, you got a librarian in Wodonga High, nothing against the place, but um, she says... Yeah, that character, Richie, I thought that was a bit weak. <laughs> 20 years later, we're going to change Richie from male to female. Yeah, go for your life, you know, you've got <laughs> to do something with that guy. And, uh, and so, it, it's, uh, so I, didn't, I just felt like, yeah, honestly, I just felt like the book could be not necessarily, oh, yeah, I thought it could be improved upon and I thought, and it's what I love most, and it's why I think the TV series is better than the book, is that it, in what Sarah was talking about, by going into, into the lives of all four of the main characters, it immediately makes the world of the, the story bigger, and it goes deeper more often. And, uh, and, so, and I love that. And even in some of the smaller characters, like Ed's mum, you know, it's probably my favourite actor in the whole series is because... You know, she reminds me of my own mum, and uh, and she's always on edge, and uh, and you can tell she loved being in it 
and, uh, and so, but I just thought we go more into her life. We go into so many more of, you know, Marv's parents' lives and his family's lives. And, and so I love that, that the world became bigger and it, and it goes deeper. And across those eight episodes, you're just seeing multiple lives. And uh, so it's sort of like there was this whole underworld underneath the book uh, that was, you know, it's a bit of a, an iceberg effect where they floated to the surface. And I, I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned before just the question around whether to keep it in the time period it was set in or whether to update it to modern times. I mean, mean, the whole idea of found family and the the story, it's quite timeless. But how do you then update that for an audience 21 years later? It's it's tricky because there was a moment for for quite a long time, actually, we really thought about making it a period piece. We thought maybe we should actually set it in, you know, we were actually thinking about sitting in the sub 90s mm. and just kind of going for it, you know, with the music and the and the look and all of that. We were just going maybe it, maybe that's where it sits, you know. Maybe we just do it as a nostalgia piece and and you know do it, you know, just own that and stay in that that time. But then there was something that around that time there were a lot of series. There's a um, a show called I'm Not Okay with This and even Sex Education and all these different shows which sort of had a timelessness about them, like the the aesthetic and the look, though there were modern stories they kind of didn't have a huge um, reliance on technology per se and, and, and that the sort of non-stop social media, you know, all this sort of tech stuff that we all sort of deal with didn't play a big part you, and they were really interesting because of that. They were felt really different. And then we went to Lithgow. Um, we were sort of scouting and looking around and we went to Lithgow and it was such an extraordinary sort of find. We went to find all, We were looking at different t- places to set it. And Lithgow has this almost out-of-time quality. It had this sort of really, it's, you know, mm. it's semi-industrial. It's sort of no longer, you know, a mining town. It's trying to be a tourist town. And it felt very, you know, you really felt you could be in any sort of period of time. And when we sort of discovered that, and even the people that looked like everybody, and this is no offence to anyone from Lithgow, had all been to the same hairdresser. Like, everybody had the same blue. <laughs> there was a particular blue that all these women had, and it was just amazing. They were all everywhere. And, and we were like, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. And it just felt like this world that we were like, we want to be... This felt like this was the messenger world. This was so the messenger. And there were old cars and people breaking down. And you don't often see people breaking down. Lots of cars on the side of the road. And I was like, this is, you know, this is Moldale. This is going to be our, our world. And so then we thought we could set it there and we could really hold on to the timelessness of it. It's sort of almost outside of time. And also that I think a lot of the time in series these days, everybody's so well-off and well-dressed and, mm. you know, they're in town and everybody's, you know, hip and group. You know, like it's so, you know, even it just feels... I didn't want to do that. I didn't want the series mm. to have this. I wanted them to be regular people who had jobs and were doing it tough and, you know, driving cabs and, you know, running, you know, coffee carts and doing whatever it takes to sort of get by because they don't have millions of dollars and they, you know, it's, it's tough. And, you know, card night is what you live for because that's all there is. And there's one pub to drink at and that's what you do. And we really wanted to sort of embrace that. And that still feels relevant to me and and sort of timeless. So we decided to update it but really hold technology back, Mm. you know, that we weren't driven by... These characters weren't, you know, driven by social media per se or, you know, on their phones 24-7. They lived in a town that was sort of... that time forgot in a sense. 
Yeah. But there were no Gregory's uh, street directories in the show. <laughs> I wanted to have a Gregory's. We had many sort of discussions about things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's lots of tiny pieces of nostalgia. And you'll also see lots of Marcus Zusak books in various different <laughs> scenes mm-hmm. <laughs> that we would throw about with abandon. You know, yeah. So, um, I definitely clocked one in one yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. Um, Marcus, did you get out to set? Yeah, a couple of times. But I, I'm, I just, even walking in here today, I, I never, I always feel like I'm a bit in the way, no matter where I am. And it's not like, and I'm not big, or, you know, I'm not like 6'4 and, you know, like packing into a rugby scrum. I'm only pretty small, but I, I just, I have a not enough sense of my own worth in a lot of ways where, so I sort of sneak into rooms and, uh, and I don't, and so... But a, a, a movie or a TV set, everyone's working hard. Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone, and so I'm sort of like, well, what am I doing here apart from just standing in the way? And it was always, you know, so only, you know, my wife and I only went a couple of times. Our kids came once. I mean, we try to get our kids to see some things that, so they can see that, you know, we work and, you know, we, we do. <laughs> like, every now and again, because they're, like, they've, they're, for a long time, their whole lives, they had never seen me put a book out because mm. the book Thief had come out just before my daughter was born and then Bridge of Clay came out when she was 13. And, uh, and so you go, geez, they've never even seen me put a book out. They don't even know what I do for a living. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, they, but they'd seen all of the good stuff happen, you know. And, uh, and so, but it was, it's always otherworldly going to see that and everyone was always, everyone was always so lovely on the set, whether it's legendary actors or producers or directors or, you know, we'd see Sarah and she'd come straight over. Will and Alexandra and Chris and Cartagena. Actually, I don't think I was there when Cartagena was on set. Mm. But, um, yeah, Chris, who plays Marv, is always first over to give you a hug. <laughs> yeah, and so you just sort of went, these, I just like these people. Forget that they're actors. Forget that they're, they're important TV producers and, and you know, award-winning screenwriters just they're they're just normal so stop being an idiot when they say here's a seat for you just sit in it (laughs) oh no no I can't sit I better not sit down I'd rather stand here and suffer for four hours while you film literally 10 seconds of a football game you know Uh, so it's always just an eye-opening experience and and it is otherworldly but it's part of the fun as well and and I get to walk away as well so uh so and and go back to my actual job Definitely take that chair because it is like that. I remember mm. the first time I was on set for anything, I watched two hours of filming of what was actually about seven seconds of a commercial because mm. they just had to keep resetting this glitter over and over again, cleaning it up. Anyway, mm. um, but when Marcus comes on set, is there this reverence that just like gets, you know, whispered all around the place? He's here, he's here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there is. I mean... I, I, it was so interesting, you know, you work on so many different things and there are so many people who are on a set, you know, there are hundreds of people. But we had this universal thing that everybody, and it's rare, nearly everybody on that crew had read the book and there were old guys and young guys and, and women and men, and a very different background, they all read the book. And that's rare, you know, a lot of times you get a job, you're a, a grip, a gaffer, you don't, you don't read the book, you hardly read the scripts, you know, you, you know. They read all the scripts and they turned up and had read the book. And so when Marcus came, it was, he's a bit of a rock star. Um, so it was, really, it was really lovely because they all really cared. I mean, I've, 
It, that's, that was such a beautiful... We had an amazing time on it because people loved it so much. And it's a huge responsibility. Like, I think everybody wanted him to be happy. Mm. <laughs> I think that was a big thing, as we all wanted him to be happy. If, if he was happy, we, we were good. You know, that, that was really important to us because there was a hell of a lot of love for that book, mm. you know, it was, and it was universal. Is that love intimidating? Yeah, it is, because you have a responsibility. You know, it's incredibly hard doing adaptations. It's not easy because you have something that people have read and connected to and, and fallen in love with. And, and it means something. You know, every time I read a book, it means something to me. My, they're my version of characters and I mm. invest in that world. And if I love that book, you know, I'm always, I always... You know, when I was younger, I used to say, I hate adaptations, you know, they're going to wreck it, you know, and it's never the way I... You. And so now being in that, you know, in that position where you're going to be the one that's going to do that, you're going to be the one that's going to wreck it or, or you know, are you going to make it better? It's an incredible responsibility. Um, and so, but over time, I think what we've all learned is, you know, you're going to get some stuff right and other things you, you can't, you're not going to get right. But I think in the end, you hold the love, you, you want to kind of hold the fans, but you've also got to make it something new. You know, it has to exist yeah. in a different form. And so you have to kind of own it. And it does become your, you know, you know, that you kind of give birth to new characters and new worlds and you keep expanding. But I think the thing is, is the, that initial feeling whenever you read a book, that I write notes about how I felt, you know, what is the feeling that, you know, what, what matters most to me um, about this, this book, you know, so that if I look at the adaptation, are we holding true to the tone of that book and also that feeling? I want that feeling to continue all the way through. And so that's the only thing I think you can do. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it is interesting, this idea of ownership, because, mm. Marcus, you're writing the book, the book belongs to you, and then it's out in the world, and then it belongs to all these people who have different ideas about it. And then, Sarah, you and your team write the TV show, and for a while it belongs to you guys, and then it goes out in the world, and everyone's got different feelings about it. I mean, how much do you think about or hold on to, like, does this still belong to me, or is it once it's out there, it's not yours anymore? Uh, I don't know. I try not to have whimsical ideas about uh, that sort of thing. And I just... And I think... And I've seen both both sides of that because you write a book that everyone... You know, I, I mean, I've been so lucky for, for all the books I've written, but then I had, a, I had a book like The Book Thief that just had this ridiculous life uh, and a really lucky life and then I wrote a book after it that nearly killed me and took 13 years. And then the same, like, people who loved The Book Thief, and it turned on me and didn't, because it wasn't, didn't make them feel the way The Book Thief made them. Mm. And, and that can, you know, obviously really hurt when it's been 13 years of your life that you've sacrificed. And then suddenly you go, oh, they don't love me anymore. And not only that, they're telling me, you know, they're writing things like, Oh, I read that book and, oh, blood, you know, what a waste of time. I was going to go see him speak and now I'm not even going to go see him speak. And, uh, and you've got to put, I mean, that's part of the, and I'm, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about that, but it does give you a perspective of, okay, am I going to try to please that person next time I write a book? Because, and, and then you realise, well, it's not up, it's not their job to love what I write. Mm. And so I, I think I'm quite, 
pragmatic now, or, and I prob probably always have been, is that all of my heroes have had detractors. You know, some, and and the, the people, I mean, I always, it doesn't matter where I go or what I do or it doesn't matter where I'm speaking, I always end up talking about Neil Young. And uh, it's Neil Young. You got some you know, people love him, they hate him, or, or they love this part of what he's done, they don't like this part. And I just think, he's already gone. He's not in that moment anymore when he, when he made the Crazy Horse album. He's, he's just doing another country solo thing and then he puts that out and then he's vanished again. He's somewhere else. And so I think when it comes to something like The Messenger coming out and I know Sarah and the whole team, you know, they're nervous about it coming out because it's their beautiful project that they've done and how's it going to fare in the world? And so it was really important to me at the, the screening for cast and crew and, and friends and things like that for, for me to just draw a line in the sand of all of that and say, I wrote the book and I love the TV series, so it doesn't matter what it does out in the world because, you know, what I say goes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and if you can please me and make me happy, sort of, you know, what more do you want? Uh, in, in the sense of, I mean, and I know I'm, I'm joking about that because, you know, this is your work now. And, uh, but I think we have to realise that there, there's a world out there and, you know, you can't please everybody all the time and, uh, and you'd be an idiot to do so. So you've just got to make... And I, I just live by that rule of not wanting to be better than anybody else but to only to write completely like myself. And then you've just got to be able to get back in the tunnel and write again. And, uh, and if people love you, fine. Yeah, and it's not that they love you, they love what you've done. And, uh, and it's, uh, I'm mindful to remember that all the time as well. Does it take a while to, to get that perspective? You know, obviously there's the, the, the hurt maybe, the first time that you sort of see that sort of criticism. Is, is it a process to be like, okay, no, I actually need to think about this in a wider, on a wider level? Yeah, it can take a while. You can get really down, especially mm. if you're... Like I remember with Bridge of Clay, and I mean, and even some people today, speaking to a few people today, reminding me what they thought of Bridge of Clay as an example, I go, oh, yeah, I am way too hard on that book all the time, myself. And, uh, but it does, you, you can lose, you can lose a lot of time by not seeing it clearly, by just looking too narrowly at one person's criticism. I mean, I didn't let The Messenger get published in the UK for about seven years just because someone wrote on an Amazon review, I can't believe the genius who wrote the book thief wrote this piece of shit. And, and, and so I went, right, that's it, no one's going to publish it in the UK because <laughs> their press are the toughest. And, uh, and, I, like, I mean, and I didn't mean to you know, talk about that element of the job, but it mm. is there. And... Uh, so I think it's always good to be worrying about your next piece of work and your next problem, you know, which is, okay, let's write this and let's make that totally authentic. And there's nothing I can do, we can do about any of this mm. now. And like the TV series, there's nothing that can be done now. It's mm. out there fending for itself. And, uh, and, the, and people will decide and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. And there's no law that says they have to love it. Mm. Well, I mean, Sarah, you got your uh, endorsement from the one person who really matters when mm. he saw the show. Mm. Was that enough to just sort of carry the rest of this, everything else, the, the rest of the journey? It was a huge deal. I think I was more nervous about that than probably anything because it did really matter to me that 
Marcus liked it or loved it. You know, I really, I remember sitting, we went and saw it in a, you know, big screen cinema and uh, we sort of sat at the back, Jason and I, and we were watching Marcus and Mika, like the backs of their heads um, and like watching every little twitch and then there's that like a board thing or, you know, and was that a laugh? You know, and you're just thinking, just stop. You know, we should have left because it was so horrible. <laughs> you're sort of trying to gauge, you know, every single moment. Um, and then sort of trying to really analyse his face as he, you know, as he kind of came towards us, you know, we sort of walked all down and sort of staring at him, trying to get any body language of like, is this a hit? Or does he like it? Does he hate it? Is, what's he going to say? But it was, you know, that was, it was such a, uh, a huge sense of relief that it, it worked. But, you know, it's, it's, you never know. You never know. It did mean a hell of a lot to us. Um, and I think it was great at the screening when he said, um, you know, I like it, so fuck everybody else. I sort of was like, <laughs> yes! Um, and I think we all sort of took that into the world. But, you know, I, I've been around a long time now, and so I'm sort of used to that sort of... It's always awful releasing things. You never know. Like, sometimes I've really known that something you know, was going to be a hit. Like, with Lambs of God, I knew that that, that show, regardless of what anyone thought, that we loved it and it was going to work. This one, I, I wasn't so sure, but a part of, part of I think, one of the, my job is, is that, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like this, you keep on letting go. You have to keep letting go. So you let go of the, you give the book to us and mm. then we work on it. And there's, you know, a group of writers who work on that. You know, other things I've written solely where it's just me, but this is a this is a real collaborative effort. You know, the writers I work with are extraordinary, and and everybody brings so much of themselves to the to the to the job. And so for a while, you know, you hold those scripts, but then you give them over. No one, not one of you, will ever read the scripts for The Messenger, and that's where our work is, and that's what attracts the actors, and that's what attracts the directors and the whole team. But then you have to let it go too. You give over those scripts, and what it becomes is. You know, the actors might screw that scene up and so that scene never sees the light of day or, you know, you lose light and that, that scene won't get shot. So the whole, your beautiful structure that you've worked, all your big print and everything that you've tried to do to make this so perfect, it's gone. It becomes a whole other thing in the hands of all these people and all the production designers. Everybody collaborates and it becomes this whole other thing. So it's not yours. You actually have to let it go and it becomes another baby. And then you go into the edit room and you make it one more time where you've got editors and, you know, ABC net Network is there putting their sort of two cents with... And it's such a collaborative effort. And so then when it goes out into the world, it's, it's the work of hundreds of people. And so I've already I've had to let it go. But then when you get reviewed, it's terrifying because they always come back to the writing. You know, they always say the script was terrible or, you know, if it's... A, if it, you know, and that sometimes really... Is frustrating because you can't say, well, it isn't where it started. It became another thing. It's mm. all of us who made this thing. And that's what television is. You know, it is a collaboration. And so you mm. just, I think now I'm just used to it. I, I let it go. I have had to let it go and let it go out into the world and, and represent all of those people, all those hundreds of people who worked on something to bring it to the world and hope that we've held it um, in good stead. Yeah. I mean, letting it go. I think Elsa's saying about that. Um, <laughs> I'm curious because Ed, the the book is very much a well, from Ed's perspective and probably with the voice of Marcus as well. And you guys are an all female writing team. What was that like? Fun. <laughs> um, we've had some. You know, Jason Stevens is our producer, and so um, he was the token male. Um, 
So, but it, it was, I think that's probably why we also wanted to develop the female characters. I think one of the, I think I love Ed in the book. And so the Ed that we sort of tried to bring into the world was very much the Ed in the book. But then once we cast Will McKenna, we actually started actually writing to him a little bit. But he has this, he's an extraordinary young actor. If you haven't seen him, he is just so mm. beautiful. But he has a, He's like a male that I've I've never seen before, and I, I you know that it, it, this new generation of young male that is just gentle and smart and kind and funny, and really self um, unassuming, but he's just got a magic about him, and that he was Ed, and so that it was sort of like that character was easy, but when we were looking at the material as women, looking at the material, or looking at Audrey, or looking at you know that we wanted to make Richie female, we really started to work on those female characters more. Um, but I, I loved Marv and Ed in the book, and they pretty much stayed, the, you know, true. those characters stayed very true to the voice of those characters in the book. But Audrey and Ed, we really messed with, and we, and we really pushed characters like um, Miller, who's the older woman in it. We really, mm. well, we really wanted to give her um, more screen time, and we loved her very much. Mm. So we sort of just expanded on that. So that was, I didn't think it was a problem in the end, you know, women writing male characters and male characters. So that, it wasn't too hard. It's like women can do it all. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've got a question? Hi. I wanted to ask you, looking back at the beginning of the whole process and looking at it now, what would you say is the main thing that you feel you found out? Like, what, do you, what makes you feel like, ah, oh, I didn't know this when I started? All right. I think I'm always... Actually, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I think what I found out is that most novelists, when we hear about a movie getting made or a TV series getting made, we, we immediately the walls go up and we go, it's never going to happen. And for all sorts of reasons, not because... And I love movies. And, uh, you know, I love books, movies, TV, in that order. And... Uh, is my honest answer there. And, and you, there's a bit of a... There is a suspicion. And I think what I learned is that you don't have to be suspicious of it because there are amazing people who, with, with really good hearts who... There's this idea that TV and movie people are a bit over the top and that you can't really trust them. And they'll say, yeah, it's the greatest book I've ever read and we're going to turn it into a great movie. And, and that was what attracted me to working with Sarah and Jason in particular was, was their lack of show business sense. And uh, so I think what I learned was to be more trusting of people in the television industry for sure. My question is for Sarah. How long does this whole process take? A long time, actually. Um, it, from beginning to end, when we start something, I'll, you know, I'll talk you through the process. It probably takes, you know, we write up, I'd, I guess, a pitch for the series, where, you know, to sort of one, to sell it. You know, you've got to kind of break that book down. You've got to, you know, pitch it, you know, go it out to the world with it. So even to be able to do that, you have to spend, you know, weeks on end, you know, breaking down the book, knowing what you're going to do with it, writing a pilot, you know, taking it out into the marketplace to sell it. So that, you know, takes months and months, you know, and then, then once you get into writers' rooms, I mean, they last for... It, we don't have an American system, which would be wonderful. Um, I know they're fighting uh, battles over in the US, but in the US you get 10 weeks to brainstorm a series. In Australia we get probably two weeks. 
Um, mm. So that gives you an idea, but those are like 10 days where you're all together as writers, just tearing everything apart and then putting them back together. If we had 10 weeks, imagine what we'd do. Um, and then we then break things down and we kind of plot and we plot together and then we write draft after draft. And so every single, we go to scene breakdowns and then outlines and then uh, you, you write script after script after script. And everything's a three draft process and then polishes. So all of that goes on the whole time. And my job is also to oversee all of that, give notes and then overwrite it. So you're talking about at least six to eight months, sometimes a year of just writing and rewriting and pitching and then going out into the world, finding actors, bringing it all together. So that before even a director's come on, you've done a year of just owning it yourselves in a writer's mm. room and, and sort of... So that's one year. And then um, this one came about pretty quickly. We had COVID, huge amounts of problems with COVID. We, uh, our set was shut down. We had insurance claims, all sorts of stuff. So it was really, really hard. Um, and then we shot it incredibly fast. Um, in Lithgow and in, around the city. But all up, it took about 18 months from beginning to end. Uh, no, it's probably two years, really, in the end. So it's a long time. It becomes your baby for a long, long time. And then you release it out into the world and just hope people like it. <laughs> so, yeah. I think we had one more question. So for you, Marcus, and you, Sarah, in your respective roles, as you're developing the characters, the scenes and everything... How important is that emotion to driving that story forward? I think we watch things to feel. You know, we watch things to be intellectually engaged, but I think one of the magic things about television or film and books is, is it makes us feel something. And so you, you really want to try and engage with an audience and make them feel. You know, that, that's sort of number one. And you're always looking at the work going, is this actually working? Is it doing what it needs to do? Are you making people connect with characters, whether that's to make you hate somebody or, or you know, but still kind of want to be with them? So, I mean, we work a lot kind of, you know, I think that sort of drives everything that I do. I, I you know, I, loved, I love things that make me feel something. I, I hate when I watch something and I'm sort of sitting back and I'm not connecting with material and, and, and so I can switch off. Mm. So I'm always, I'm a bit of an emotional junkie, so I, I love that thing of being drawn in or made to laugh or made to cry or to be so furious that I'm yelling at the screen. That's what I want. Um, so, you know, that is something that we work, you know, really hard with. Um, yeah, so, yes, it's at the core of everything that we do. And, you know, when I'm reading a script, if it's not written by me or I'm, when I'm looking at it, is, is it on the page? Is it going to work? Is it making me feel something? Am I engaged? Am I kind of getting further drawn in? And what's the emotional truth of a character? You know, where are we starting with the character and where are we going to take them? And really, really drilling down into the levels of that person so that, you know, I think that's the work that you have to do to make it, you know, really sing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I, I can't expand too much on that except that I think I, may, I try to make it as elemental as possible in terms of all I'm trying to do is create moments. Every book I write is about getting to a moment that I saw in my head and I just go, that's, that's a great moment. And I'm, I, don't, I don't try to actually understand what the emotion is of the moment. I mean, I know what it is, but I don't need to articulate it. And, uh, you know, and whether that's Ed and his character, you know, and, and them playing cards and Ed and Marv 
is knocking over the beer and the old smuggler whiskey that they've got there, you know, the cheapest stuff, and to kiss the doorman, you know, in the book. It's, uh, I don't know what, what emotion I'm trying to get there, but I, but I love the moment and I know it means something. And, uh, and I think that's, and that's the kind of writer that, that I am. I think I'm always trying to make people, it's about the connections between the characters and getting them to those moments and then recovering and getting to the next one. So, um, so I try to keep it as simple as possible. I, I can't think beyond that, unfortunately. Thank you so much for joining us at this Sydney Writers' Festival session. Thank you to Marcus. Thanks, Winley. Thank you. And thank you to Sarah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.